there wasn't a lot of other mediums out there. Podcasts weren't really popular. YouTube wasn't really super popular and I'm young. So it's kind of crazy for me to even say that, (laughs) but I was kind of on my own to learn about this stuff. And so when I was learning about Warren Buffett, I really misunderstood what value investing was. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community for free, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive the risk reduction checklist I've created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. And get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. Also in the community, you can get a super special podcast listener discount on my six-week valuation masterclass bootcamp. In that bootcamp, you learn how to value companies like a pro and advance your career in finance. Just go to myworstinvestmentever.com to join the community for free, fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Robert Leonard. Robert, are you ready to rock? I am ready. Let's do it. Yeah, I am, I'm going to introduce you to the audience. So ladies and gentlemen, Robert Leonard is the VP of Growth and Innovation at the Investors Podcast Network, podcast hosts of Real Estate 101 and Millennial Investing, XW2 accounting and finance professional, as well as a stock and real estate investor. He earned an MBA in accounting and finance, a BSBA in finance and economics, and is a certified management accountant. Robert, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Yeah, absolutely. Every time I get asked about my background, I always go back to when I was four years old and everybody, the hosts and guests, I know they, their eyes get big. So why is he going back to when he was four? But I think it's, I think it's a good story. I think it impacts a lot of my life and I think it makes me different from other people that you've probably had on the show or as a different host. So go back to when I was four, I entered my first motocross race. I started racing motocross. I raced ATVs back then. And so I ended up doing that for 10 years. And so when I was about 14 years old, I was number two in the world in my age group. And so to put some reference on this or perspective, it's kind of like prospects in major league sports or like the minor leagues. I was like one of the top prospects that was going to go to the next level. And so my whole life growing up, I was relatively good at, at racing. So I never really had a backup plan or anything. Nobody in my family ever went to college. Nobody ever made any investments or anything like that. My whole world was racing. And I was about a year and a half out from actually going professional. I had a lot of sponsors that had me on track to go to where I needed to be to become a professional. And when I was 14 and a half, about well, maybe almost 15, that dream got ripped away from me. So unfortunately, 2007, 2008, economy crashed money was tight. Racing is very expensive. The industry got really hurt and, you know, even more catastrophic. We had a couple of people very close to us either get paralyzed or pass away from riding. And so with the economic impacts that were going on at the time, as well as the risk for injury and and even death, my father said, listen, you're done racing. And so at that point, I was about a freshman in high school and now I had to figure out what I was going to do. I had no plans of going to college, like I said, and This was all I was going to do. I was going to be a professional athlete racing ATV motocross. And so that leads to today because I had to figure out what I was going to do. And I did a little bit of self-reflection. I was only 14, so I wasn't really great at this, but I did realize, hey, I'm really good at math. I'm always top of my class in math and I like money a lot. So I should combine the two and go into finance. 
And so long story short, I ended up stumbling into a day trading program. And because I was 14 at the time, I thought that this guy was promising overnight riches. It sounded like it was great. It tapped into my emotions and I wanted to do that. So I ended up getting involved. Thankfully, I didn't spend any money on his courses or invest any money day trading. I ended up realizing relatively quickly that it was actually not really a plausible investing strategy. But what I am very thankful for is that led me to Warren Buffett. And that really led me to real true value and, and stock investing. Been out to Berkshire Hathaway now and, and studied Buffett for over a decade now. And so that was my journey from where I was to where I am today. And uh, for the listeners out there, I mean, you know, I know that a lot of people's lives are being disrupted right now. And your profession that you thought you were going to do is suddenly closed or is, you know, restricted. But I think that this is a good lesson that, you know, you can, you can change that and you can pivot that. And so, you know, Robert's story helps to remind us that, you know, good things can come out of crisis. Not to say that it wouldn't have been good to be the number one, you know, racer and all of that, but. Now, let me just ask another question for those people who are always looking for new podcasts or, you know, podcasts that bring value. Maybe you can just explain what they get when they listen to your podcast. Yeah. So we have two segments. I really appreciate you asking. We have two segments on Mondays. You get the real estate 101 segment. So on that show, we help new real estate investors get involved in real estate investing and mostly us based, but the strategies that we talk about are applicable across the world. When we get into some of the nitty gritty about financing those deals and that type of stuff, the legalities, probably not going to be applicable necessarily to a foreign country, but the strategies for investing are applicable across the globe. And then on Wednesdays, we have a show called Millennial Investing that is focused on stock investing, typically around value investing and other real stock investing strategies. We don't really talk much about these, you know meme stocks and day trading and stuff like that. I mean, we might touch on them as, as news, but we don't talk about them as a viable investing strategy. So what we're doing there is really trying to help people build and understand real investing strategies. Got it. And for people that like the story of what they hear from you and all that, what's the best way for them to follow you? Are you, is it Twitter or is it LinkedIn or what's the best way for them to, to get your content or engage with you? Yeah. The best way to contact me personally would be Twitter or Instagram. Username yep. is the same, yep. the Robert Leonard. If you want to find the shows, just go to theinvestorspodcast.com and you can find the shows there. Fantastic. And we'll have all that in the show notes. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. So we could consider everything I just mentioned about motocross to be the worst investment. And the reason I say that is because a lot of parents see the, it takes a lot of money to go racing, especially at the level that I was at. And so a lot of parents see that as a quote unquote investment, because if your child is good and I was good at the time, it could have a huge payoff. And it's not really that any different than buying a stock. You buy a stock and hope for it to appreciate into the future. Same with real estate or any other type of investment. It's kind of the same idea with this. The outlay of cash is the purchase in Ideally, in the future, you get a big salary or a big payout, and it makes up for all the investments that you had. I don't know if I'd say that was the worst investment, but we could consider that. When we get into the financial markets, my worst investment is actually probably a pool of investments. And so it's not any one in particular because they all kind of had the same result, all had the same end impact. But what happened was, like I mentioned, I started studying Warren Buffett but I was very young. I was 14, 15, 16 years old, even into my early college days. 
there wasn't a lot of other mediums out there. Podcasts weren't really popular. YouTube wasn't really super popular. And I'm young, so it's kind of crazy for me to even say that. <laughs> but I was kind of on my own to learn about this stuff. And so when I was learning about Warren Buffett, I really misunderstood what value investing was. My understanding was that value investing was simply doing a discounted cash flow model. And I, I felt like I was doing it right because I have an accounting degree, I have an MBA, et cetera. I can read financial statements. I know what all of the different line items mean. I know what's going on. And so I thought, I'm going to be great at this. All I have to do is discount a cash flow model, use the right inputs, look at the financials, and I'll get a valuation. If it's undervalued, I'll buy it. And so that's exactly what I did was I did a ton of DCF models and some other multiple models and some other valuation metrics. But for the most part, I just relied on a DCF. And so what ended up happening was I realized that these stocks were not as undervalued as I thought they were because I over optimized for the growth or I used the wrong discount rate or whatever the case was. And so I made a lot of investments based on quantitative factors. And I didn't look at the actual business itself. I didn't look at the industry, where the industry is going. I didn't look at where the company's future prospects were going. It was purely, purely quantitative. And so for the listeners of the show who are, are pretty well-versed in, in finance and investing, you could think of like Benjamin Graham's cigar butt. I guess you could say I was more following that strategy than I was Buffett, but I thought that I was following Warren Buffett. I thought I was going to be the next Warren Buffett. And you know, truth be told, I found out it's not all just about the numbers. It's not always just about the valuation model, although that is important and should be considered. It's not always the end-all be-all. And so that led to a pool of bad investments over a few years that all were because of the same strategy and misunderstanding of what Buffett meant. So what, how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from that? The lessons that I learned from that is that there is arguably more value or at least equal value in the qualitative factors of a business than there is in the financials. And so I learned that for a few reasons. One, I learned that if there is a true undervaluation purely based on financials and you can pull up any financial report or statement or whatever you're looking at data on the internet for this company and you can find that, you're probably wrong. At least in my opinion, that's what I found. If it's only based on the numbers, you're probably wrong. And the reason I say that is because there are hedge funds, super computers, all this software out there, they are arbitraging that all the way. If it's all based on numbers and data, they can analyze way more, the, the computers and programs, they can analyze that data way faster, way more accurate, way better than humans can. And so I learned that if it's purely quantitative, then you're probably wrong and you're probably missing something. The second thing I missed, and it's kind of couples with that, is there is so, so much value in the qualitative piece and you have to look at that. And I had heard of like the Blockbuster and Netflix and you know all these types <clears throat> of situations, but I didn't really give it much consideration. I didn't really think that I was making that same mistake. But now looking back, it was clear as day. I was making the same type of, of investment. So if I was old enough, I probably would have invested in Blockbuster because I didn't see Netflix coming. I didn't see the change that the industry could potentially go in. And so it's really hard to do, especially for somebody like me, because my background is all number, numbers, numbers, data, and accounting, you know, those types of things. So for me to think about qualitative factors and really think that there's value in them, it was hard and it took a long time and I'm still working at it to this day. But that was the big thing I learned is the management teams, where the industry's going, where the business is going, are the products good? Do they treat their employees well? Do they do 
ethical business? How are they operating their business overall? These types of qualitative things have a lot of value. And that's where I think investors really have their edge. And so those are the biggest lessons that I learned. Great lessons. And I know, uh, you know, I mean, it was many years ago when I started my career as an analyst, but, you know, all we have is to go to those books and go to those formulas and think, you know, okay, if I can figure this out. And it's probably one of the biggest, you know, frustrations that I think everybody has when they start is that, wait a minute, I thought just being able to calculate this formula, we can get to the, and uh, there's a, a bunch of stuff I wrote down, you know, the first thing in my valuation masterclass, we have different, I teach students how to do the forecast, do the valuation, they use my tools. We have many chapters in a report that they're writing on a company, but the first chapter is story. What is the story? And that story has to be built on the future. So a great example of this is in my coffee factory, we had a couple guys and we sell you know, typical coffee with uh, big machines that we sell special machines to restaurants, coffee shops, hotels, and then we sell the coffee into it. And these guys came along and they said, look, the wave of the future is nitro cold brew coffee. And we're like, wow, we don't know how to do that. That's going to require investment, you know, and we were doubtful about the market. And then they, then we started to do the numbers and we said, okay, here's the investment. Here's the margin. Let's just imagine that the margin overall is 30% and the margin for this nitro cold brew would be 40%. So now I started thinking, okay, so here's how I start to build the story of whether we're going to invest. And that is, what could that percentage be? Is it always going to be 1% of our revenue or could we grow it to 10 or 20 or 30? And how would that impact our overall gross margin? And then how would that impact the earnings potential of our business and how much investment will we have to put in it? So like, that's how in a company's strategy, they're putting together the story. And as an analyst, I learned that the value of the story is, is critical. There's a couple of other things I wrote down. You know, I think another valuable thing that you know, a person like yourself that's experienced now brings is what I would call portfolio construction. So it's one thing to pick stocks, but it's another one to build that portfolio. And the other one is overcoming emotion. Sometimes the market is just going crazy. So we can add value by being steady in our emotion. And then you know, the other thing that I was thinking about is, you know, at first you started talking about like, maybe it was wrong inputs into the model. Well, we've, we always put in wrong numbers into the model and we have to kind of adjust that. I wrote a book called Nine Valuation Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. And I teach my students, just don't make any of these mistakes. And you've pretty much avoided that common mistake, like too low of a discount rate or something like that. But once you've got those things nailed, now you got to get on to the story. And that brings me to the last thing that I was thinking about is that I was a lot like you when I started where I was just focused on value, 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 and what was my valuation. And what I moved my methodology to is something I call FVMR, Fundamentals, Valuation, Momentum, and Risk. So I developed a, a whole system of quantitative scoring, 26,000 companies around the world. And then that allows me, based upon the portfolios that I have, to just narrow down to say, where should I be doing my research and looking for the story? And that's how I kind of evolved from just pure value, value, value. I want to buy something below its intrinsic value to looking at the whole picture. Those are some of the things I took away. Anything you would add to that? Yeah, I think two things I'd add real quick is that you mentioned buying below intrinsic value. And that is, that's still the goal. And I still want to do that. I think everybody wants to do that. But what I realized is that 
intrinsic value is more than just the financial intrinsic value. There's intrinsic value from all these qualitative things that you have to consider. And the second piece that I realized, and this is probably one of the biggest lessons I learned, is you often need to look for a catalyst in a company to realize the discrepancy in the valuation that you have. And so maybe not always, you know, mean reversion is real. And there's some other reasons that why value and price can combine and get back to the same reality. But I realized that in those cases where I made the wrong valuation from a quantitative perspective, there was absolutely no catalyst on the horizon for these businesses. And that's partially because I didn't understand the qualitative factors. I didn't understand the industry. I didn't understand the business. Whereas you could look and say, all right, these things are happening in the industry. These are happening with the business. The business is going to launch new products, going to stop new or old products that are doing poorly, et cetera, et cetera. You could say, this is going to be a catalyst that is going to cause the price and value to align. And Mm -hmm. there needs to be something that's going to cause the value that you see and the price that the market is showing to come together. And I believe a catalyst is a big common factor of that. Yeah. Excellent. The other thing I was thinking about as you were talking is what I often tell my students is profit is not value. And a lot of times we get hooked up on profit and the best example of this is Amazon, you know, losses for years. If you plug those losses into a model or you looked at the company just from a profit perspective, you'd be missing the value they were creating. And so I think, you know, for you, particularly for young people to not confuse profit and value. And if you do that, in order to construct your valuation, it has to be bringing in all of these different qualitative factors because profit's easy. Like you say, you know, there's plenty of guys out there that, are, that have quantitative models that are scouring the, the, the stocks and the universe. So, so much, so much to learn. So let me ask you, I want you to go back and think about a young person who's just starting to learn about the stock market. They're interested, you know, and based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Be sure that you're actually understanding the business and not the financials. Even put the financials aside for a second. Understand, see if you can even understand the business. Make sure it's a business that is within your circle of competency. I'm very strict with that. If it's something that I can't understand, I don't, I don't care if it's undervalued. I don't care if somebody else thinks it's a hundred bagger. If I don't understand it, I'm, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. And so that'll help with understanding the business. And this isn't always possible. And I'm not saying you shouldn't invest if you can't do this, but I like to try and use the product or the service if I can. And, and that's not always possible, right? Salesforce has been great. Maybe you don't work in a situation where you can go and just start using Salesforce. That's fine. I get it. But as much as you can, if you could use their product or service, if you can go to their store, if you go to their restaurant, whatever the case is, it's worth the time. It's worth the, the little bit of money that you're going to put into just seeing how the business works, seeing what their products and services are, seeing what the quality is. Then you can dive into the numbers and, and the industry even and go from there. But that's the first thing I would do is try to really, really understand the business and make sure it's within your circle of competency. Great lesson. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next 12 months is, well, my goal for 12 months from January 1st to December 31st of this year was to quit my W-2 job. And I did that. So I would say that that goal has been met. But for the next 12 months from today on, we're building a pretty cool stock investing software platform at the Investors Podcast. And I really like it. I'm leading the project. I'm passionate about it. I think it's great. 
And so obviously I'm biased in saying that, but I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm really hoping that we can get that to scale and really help a lot of investors. It's helped me a ton. So that's probably the thing that I'm the most excited about. Exciting. And um, can people access that now at the website? I think there's yeah. some kind so of if you tool, go to yeah. yeah, if you go to the investorspodcast.com and go to TIP finance, that is the tool I'm talking about. Right now, I will be perfectly radically transparent. The tool is not great right this second, but we are totally revamping it. We are adding a ton of new features, a ton of new tools, really making the user experience a lot better, adding a lot more value. So over the next six months, I would see I see the value of the tool doubling, if not tripling in what it offers to the users. So it's good right now, but we're going to make it great. And yeah, so I'm really excited about that. And good in Robert's terms means go there and use it right now. There's a lot of value in it because you know most of us can't construct those type of things. So make sure that you check it out. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com. And when you join, you'll get that special discount to my six-week valuation masterclass boot camp. As we conclude, Robert, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I just want to say if anybody, if anything I shared resonated with you guys, it's totally fine. If it doesn't, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Some guests just don't resonate with me. But if I did, if my message resonated with you, please reach out. I answer every single email. I answer every single direct message that I get on social media. I get a lot of them. So it might take me a little while, but whatever your question is, whatever you want to chat about, I will absolutely get back to you. So please reach out if there's anything I can do to help and keep listening to great podcasts like this one. And yeah, keep up the great work. Yeah. Awesome. So you heard it from Robert right there. Reach out if you've got a question. I'll have all the links to all of his different social media and other things in the show notes. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.